0: Welcome to Episode 4 of the Kangaroo English Podcast, a podcast about language for people learning languages. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about words. What exactly are they? Do they have the power to change the way we think? And is it really true that Eskimos have 50 different words for snow? Before we start, I just need to mention that this podcast, along with all of my other online activities, are made possible through your very generous support. So, if you would like to sponsor free English education, then there are two ways you can do that. The first way is by becoming my patron on Patreon, and the second way is by buying some very stylish Kangaroo English merchandise. The links to both of those things and also links to my YouTube channel, Facebook group and Instagram are all on my website at kangarooenglish.com. Okay, so let's get down to business. I am subscribed to the mailing lists of various different language websites and recently I received an email with this subject, 45 beautiful Untranslatable words that describe exactly how you're feeling. Now, my initial thought was, wow, this is going to be an interesting email because it's going to just be a list of foreign words with no definition in English because apparently these words are untranslatable. But no, of course, I had a look at the words and each one of them contained a very complete and satisfying definition. Some of the words on the list were really great, actually. Uh, some of my favorites were tsundoku from Japanese, which means that you buy a book and then you don't read it. Um, I'm definitely guilty of that. Uh, Trepverta from Yiddish, which is a witty comeback you think of only when it's too late to use. Again, that happens to me all the time. It's a really frustrating feeling. And another one was Dapjongnyo from Korean. I'm sure that was a terrible Korean pronunciation. And that means when somebody has already decided the answer they want to hear after asking a question and are waiting for you to say that exact answer. So some of the words I think are really useful, and I do wish that some of those words existed in English, but they don't. And that's what the makers of this original list meant when they say that the words were untranslatable. What they meant was there was no single word to express that exact feeling or emotion. But... This raises a really interesting question, and that is, what exactly is a word? How do they represent ideas? And if you don't have a word for something in your language, can you still think it, experience it, and feel it? So let's look at the first question. What exactly is a word? Well, it's more difficult than you might imagine to define. Let's look at a really basic English word like ship, and let's say that you count that as a word. What about the plural ships? Is that a distinct word or just a different form of the same word? What about ship as a verb? Are you going to count that separately? The adjective form shipping? What about the verb in the gerund or the verb in the past, shipped? Are they separate words? What about compound words formed from ship, like battleship or warship? In the sentence, a ship, shipping, ship, shipping, shipping ships, is that just one word or many different variations of words that you're going to count individually? And those questions are complicated just for a basic word like ship. And when you start to look at the English language as a whole, then it becomes really complicated. Are you going to count scientific, medical, and legal words from Latin and Greek? Are you going to count French words we use in cooking and Japanese words that we use in martial arts? Are we going to count teenage slang that everyone's using on Twitter that's not even in the dictionary yet? And what about words that? have fallen out of use that might still appear in the dictionary. Are we going to count those as words? Now, even if you decided on a definition for words in English, then when you look at other languages, things become infinitely more complicated. Now, maybe in your life you have come across the story that Eskimos have 50 different words for snow, Sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 150, sometimes it's 500 different words for snow. But let me tell you the truth about how many words the Eskimos have for snow. Are you ready for this? Infinite. <laughs> and that's because of the way that the Eskimo languages work. Now, I need to say that Eskimo is not actually a language. Eskimos speak a uh, variety of different languages within the Eskimo language group. And I'm going to give you an example from one of those languages, which is Central Siberian Yupik. So how it works is you start with a root word, And then you add on all these little affixes until you create one giant word, which you then inflect for person and time and various other things. So, for example, if you wanted to say, he wants to buy a big boat, then you would start with the root boat, and then you add on big and buy and want and to and then you inflect this word for the indicative mood and for the third person. So you end up with this one giant word that is basically the equivalent of an English sentence. So now you see why there is an unlimited amount of words for snow in these Eskimo languages, because starting with the single root for snow, you can... Create an infinite number of giant long words, which are the equivalent of sentences. And that's why you can't say that Eskimos have 50 words or 150 words. The amount of words they have for snow is simply limited by their stamina. <laughs> now, maybe this all seems a bit abstract because clearly the Eskimo languages work in a very peculiar and unique way. But when I look back at that original email with those 45 untranslatable words, then I notice that quite a few of them are from German. Like, for example, waldensamkeit, which means the feeling of solitude. But the German language actually allows you to make compound words, to take two words and join them together to create a new word so this word actually means forest and loneliness now are we going to consider that one word or two and this leads us on to our second question which i think is especially fascinating for people learning languages which is do languages affect the way that we view the world people often say things like learning a second language gives you a second soul, or, you know, you have two personalities depending on what language you're speaking. And, you know, this gives us the idea that maybe there's some secret power of language to affect the way that we think. And this is actually called linguistic relativity, or it's also commonly known as the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Now, there are two versions of this. One is the strong version that says that language determines thought, and the second one is the weak version, which is that language does constrain some areas of thought, but doesn't determine it. Now the first one has never been proven in empirical research and is widely considered to be untrue. but there is actually evidence for the weak form. There is evidence that the language you speak does constrain some areas of thought. It does actually change the way that you think. And I want to tell you about some really fascinating research that might just blow your mind. The first piece of research was published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology in 2017, and it's called the Warfian Time Warp. The researchers wanted to know if the language you spoke affected your mental representation of the passage of time. So they got together a group of Swedish speakers and a group of Spanish speakers, because those two languages talk about time differently. So in Swedish, they talk about time in terms of length, long and short. But in Spanish, they talk about time as quantity, as in a lot or a little. And what they did was they showed these two groups of people little animations and asked them to estimate how long the animations were. So when they showed the Spanish group an animation of a line getting longer, then this didn't affect the Spanish people's ability to estimate the length of time because Spanish people estimate time using volume. But when they showed the same information to the Swedish speakers their ability to estimate time was affected by this animation of the line getting longer. It interfered with their ability to estimate. And the opposite with the Spanish speakers when they showed them an animation of a cup filling up, uh, volume increasing, and they asked them to estimate the amount of time it took for the cup to fill up, Spanish speakers were misled by the animation. So this research clearly showed that people from different languages have different mental representations of time passing. The second set of research is from 2013 and it's called the thickness of musical pitch and in a lot of ways it's very similar to the first experiment but instead of measuring time they were measuring musical ability so they took a group of Dutch speakers and a group of Farsi speakers. Because in Dutch, people describe musical pitch as high or low. But in Farsi, people describe musical pitch as thin or thick. And again, they showed them some animations with lines that were either thick and thin or high and low. And again, this affected the participants' ability to produce the correct musical pitch. The language that they spoke actually changed their visual representations of musical pitch in their brains. Now, the third piece of research I think is really going to blow your mind. Now, almost everyone who is listening to this podcast thinks about space, not outer space, but the space around you in relative terms. You think about things being to the right or to the left or in front of or behind or over or under. But that's not true for all of the languages in the world. Some languages in the world think about space in absolute terms, as in north, south, east and west or uphill and Downhill, And between 1993 and 1998, various researchers visited these communities of language speakers and showed them photographs of a man standing next to a tree and asked them to describe the photograph. And their descriptions are incredible. Let me read you some examples. There is a man standing in the east a tree standing downhill of a man. A man stands in the land of soft sand. There is a tree standing on the inland side, or a tree standing on the side towards the sea. Now, I'm sure for most of us, that seems like an absurd and complicated way to talk about the space around you. And in fact, the speakers of these languages had a lot of difficulty performing some of the description activities that the researchers asked them to do. But of course, in their day-to-day normal lives, they have absolutely no problems. The language serves all of their needs. Let me read a little bit from the conclusion of this research. The linguistic system is far more than just an available pattern for creating internal representations. To learn to speak a language successfully requires speakers to develop an appropriate mental representation, which is then available for non-linguistic purposes. So, incredibly, there is evidence that the language or languages you speak affect your thought processes. It's just that nobody's sure in exactly what ways and by exactly how much. And who knows what effects this might have on us as individuals and as a society. George Orwell's book, 1984, is set in a dystopia controlled by Big Brother, where English has been replaced by something called Newspeak, an artificial language with a very restricted set of English vocabulary. In theory, this limited vocabulary makes certain negative modes of thought impossible. At the beginning of the book, the main character, Winston Smith, secretly hates the party and has plans to rebel, but by the end of the book, he is sitting in a bar and he looks up at the face of Big Brother. Let me read the final paragraph. He gazed up at the enormous face. Forty years it had taken him to learn what kind of smile was hidden beneath the dark moustache. O oh, cruel, needless misunderstanding, O oh, stubborn, self-willed exile from the loving breast. Two gin-scented tears trickled down the sides of his nose. But it was all right. Everything was all right. The struggle was finished. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Big Brother. I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English. of will class.